for the morning, everybody. You guys doing good? So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's a new shirt. And you are right. You are right. And you're probably wondering what's on the shirt. It's elephants. Because real men wear elephants on their shirt. This is the Labor Day sale at Macy's, $17.99. And I got four of them. One has pineapples, one has elephants, one has, I'm not sure what it is, or not sure if it's a legal something, some kind of green something. But anyways, it's, it's lots of floral, and uh, actually I was on the way to church this morning with the kids, they're like, you have another tag. Oh yeah, oh there's another tag, I'm pulling tags off on the way. I didn't even try this on, I just said, that's the one I want, I'm getting, it was the last one on the rack. And it, you know when you can tell, like it's been opened a couple times and tried on, it's been tried on by at least 30 people. There's no telling what I'm carrying in this shirt, but God is good, and I appreciate the discount. Hey, I want to say this. Um, we're so pumped about small groups. Like, you, you have no idea. Like, at the end of the day, we do small groups. Yes, it's biblical, and yes, there's principle for it. And yes, it's a, it's a church model that's super important, but it's deeper than that. Uh, bondages thrive in darkness, but they're defeated in the light. And I don't know what you're going through or what bondage you have in areas of your life, maybe finances, maybe friendships, relationships, maybe it's in theology, maybe it's in uh, marriage or parenting, but if you will bring it out to the light in a circle, God can bring great victory, and those who follow him fully must follow him in freedom, and this is about finding freedom, amen? So we invite you into this, invite you into relationship. And there's nothing more awkward, right, than going to a small group for the first time. You don't really know anybody. You got like one email from the host. They're like, hey, make sure to park here. And there's a weird barking dog at the corner and da-da-da. And you knock on the door and then the door opens and you're not sure what's going on inside, who's there. You kind of act like you're with the postal service or something, just peeking in, making sure that there's nothing strange, right? It's an odd moment, but when you lean in and you come back, and it's in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth week of taking off the mask and really creating relational equity that, that lot, your heart begins to be remodeled by Christ. There's just something about the intimacy and the conversation. We're not saying come in and just tell us your story in week one and just, just dump it on the table. That's not what we're saying. But, but as relational equity builds and hearts beca- begin to get connected together through the curriculum, um, you're gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to highlight things and doors are going to be open, conversations are going to be had. And this semester, in Jesus' name, people will find freedom. Amen? Come on, let's celebrate that. That one's EQ'd for my very deep voice, so I may sound a little higher on this one. I don't know what's going to happen. All right, we're going to go to some scriptures here, Matthew chapter 8 and 23. <clears throat> um, you know our heart in this house, we, we don't believe that you have to get good to get God. You get God to get good. We get God first. It's imputed. It's given. It's a free gift. We believe and receive. We don't try and achieve. It's not... It's not earned. It is something that is given to us. And we're here today because of what Jesus has wrought in the, on the cross and what he's done. Because of what he's done on the cross, we're here today, and we're beneficiaries of his grace. Now, all of us are on a journey. Turn to your neighbor and say you're on a journey. All right. And how many would admit that it's easier to find Jesus than to follow Jesus? It's easier to find him than to follow him. Can I get an amen from anybody who's 
been in this a little while? All right, because we're 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 following, uh, but the journey takes us on some interesting. Uh, paths, some interesting situations. And I believe that Jesus is the situational teacher. Like he loves to put us in situations that challenge our faith and challenge our heart. And I'm going to read to you today two different passages out of Matthew. Matthew 8, and then we'll skip to Matthew 14. And we'll take a look at these two scenarios that look almost identical, but they're not. Connected, perhaps. But we're going to look at the outcome of two experiences that changed the course of history. Matthew chapter 8, 23 says this. He got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Like I said, it's easier to find him than to follow him. They followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. I love this part. This is kind of like my wife. She's like Jesus a little bit because she can sleep on a train, a plane, an automobile. She goes to sleep when we take off. She wakes up when the uh, plane lands and she's blessed and I'm awake the entire time for 15 hours, all right? The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Then uh, the men were amazed and asked, here's the question, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is is this? The situation brought a question, a question to heart, a question to mind. Who is this guy? Like, this is something different. This is no regular rabbi. This is something special. This is something different. We've got to figure it out. We skip ahead a couple weeks, and we're back in this same situation. We're back on a boat, and yet Jesus has reorchestrated the situation so we can learn a deeper lesson. Matthew 14, 22, it says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat, and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he just fed a bunch of people. And you know how hard it is when you got a bunch of people that are eating a lot of bread and, and they're kind of swollen a little bit. And it's hard to get up out of your chair and get going. So he's trying to encourage him to get back to 24-hour fitness and get back home and do those Pilates on Instagram. Thank you, everybody who's working out online, making us all feel bad. But God bless you. After he had dismissed them, he went to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted. By the waves, because of the wind, it was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out with fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. And we'll skip this next couple verses because Peter goes out in the water, he sinks. Jesus catches him, gets him up, and they get in the boat. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat... The wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Today I want to talk to you about the tale of two storms. The tale of two storms. I, again, want to thank you for being here. I want to thank my mother-in-law for being here. She's watching our kids this week. Double blessing, and uh, thank you very much. Heavenly Father, we honor you. Uh, we invite your presence to have preeminence in this room, to speak to our hearts, to guide our lives, to give us spiritual insight, wisdom, and understanding according to your will. I thank you for every heart and life that's in this room. And their journey in spiritual formation has already been wrought in Christ, discoverable in Christ. Our life is hid in Christ. Help us to, to discover that even more today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. <clears throat> 
All right. So uh, this is kind of an important question. This may divide the room a little bit, and I hope it doesn't. Um, how many here? How many here like breakfast? Any breakfast people? Got to have a good square meal. All right. How many kind of light on breakfast? Maybe skip breakfast. Intermittent fasting people. Some around. All right. So if you do have breakfast, uh, and it does happen uh, at some point, even if you try to avoid it, um, how many like orange juice with their breakfast? How many orange juice people? Orange juice people, okay, handful of people, all right, not a lot in this service, okay, the older service with the older people love the orange juice, Sunny Delight, that was a big thing, first service, I don't know, but anyways, uh, how many like milk, any milk people, any milk people for breakfast, milk people, okay, um, all right, not, not a lot here either, okay, how about coffee, coffee people, wow, this is the crew, my goodness, that's Jesus juice, isn't it? That's what we call Christian crank, and uh, that keeps us alive. It keeps people coming to church and listening to the gospel, and it's legal, and it's guilt-free, all right? So, long story short, long story short, um, I grew up, I had two sets of amazing grandparents. Uh, I grew up in Houston, grandparents, uh, A, their uh, grandma and grandpa King is what we called them, and they were in San Antonio, pastor there for many years. And then grandparents in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they uh, pastored in uh, Michigan, Indiana, great people. Uh, we called Grandma Faithy, Grandma Faithy. Uh, her name was Faith. Uh, she almost, her, her mom almost died in childbearing. Uh, they named her Faith. My mom's name is Hope. My sister's name is Charity. And uh, my Grandma Faith is full of faith. My mother is so full of hope. Charity, we're still working on her, and God's doing a work in her heart. <clears throat> when I was younger, I always, it was kind of cool having a sister named Charity. I was like, can you just give to Charity? This is going to go to Charity. And that was another whole thing. But anyways, um, faith, hope, and Charity. And so what was interesting is going to different grandparents' house had different experiences, especially for breakfast. For breakfast at Grandma King's house, it was always sausage, mostly deer sausage. Grandpa King loved to hunt. So it was like deer sausage with a little pork in it, a lot of meats, and it was milk. Milk was the drink. But in, in Indianapolis, it was a lot of breads, a lot of, a lot, you know, we know bread. Bread makes you spread. It's not good for you. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. It covers a multitude of sins. But long, long story short, it, Grandma Faithy would always have OJ. OJ was the drink, right? And I'll never forget being like 12 years old. I never put this together. I was like, what would it be like to have both? And I was at my friend David Schaefer's house, and they, it was kind of an interesting family. They did a lot of things odd, but one thing was they had both orange juice and milk for breakfast. So they had two, you know, you have maybe coffee and a water. They had orange juice and milk. And I'll never forget discovering when two things that I loved individually did not work together. Has anybody had orange juice and milk? It's just, it doesn't comply, right? It's just not, sub God did not make it to work together. Long story short is in this passage, we have two stories, two storms that we have divided for years. In our mind, story number one, yeah, Jesus is in the boat. We love it. It's cute. Jesus has got a pillow. Jesus is not nervous about the storm. Number two, he's walking on the sea. We're like, this is cool. Two storms. Some people are like, yeah, isn't that just the same story just told differently? Not seeing that there is a synergy and a connection between these two storms. Because, number one, Jesus initiates both rides. Most important to understand. And Jesus is not freaked out. I love how Jesus doesn't get freaked out in the storm. He doesn't have anxiety about it. He's not worried about it. He has confidence. Why? Because 
there's peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And I want to just tell you, like, we believe that if we're walking with the Lord and we really know Him, God can give us peace, not just in the storm, but to walk in the storm in power and to speak peace over the storms. You know where that begins? Jesus is up in the mountain praying. When you have, when you fight for your time of devotion, prayer, and reading the Word, can I tell you, when you come out, you bring peace into whatever storm you're in, and you can bring and speak peace into other people's storms. That's the power of prayer. Jesus prayed. He modeled that for us. And I, I really honestly believe that, um, you know, the greatest temptation in the Bible goes back to the very beginning. It wasn't the devil coming to Eve and going, okay, here we go. I want to tempt you because I want to make you evil. I want to give you horns and a pitchfork, make you the devil. That wasn't the temptation. It wasn't to make her evil. You know what the temptation was? This is what Satan said. You're going to be like God. You're going to get to control your own outcomes. You're going to control your own situations. And Whenever we can't control things, we adopt and embrace anxiety. Jesus actually talked about it in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you have anxiety and fear, you're not trusting. You're trying too hard. More trusting, not trying. You need to settle some things. Some things have been complete in Jesus. Jesus has settled it. When you get to that place, there's a rest. In fact, in the very beginning when God created humanity, he set in order day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and then he rested. Why did God rest? Because he was tired, won a siesta? Absolutely not. The Bible says that God in Isaiah neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't get tired. Why did God rest? The Bible gives us the clue right there in Genesis. It says, because he was done. You ever had a honey-do list that just was there? Maybe it's written, maybe it's not written, maybe it's spoken, maybe it's declared loudly in the house. But there's a honey-do list. And when you get it done, you're like, there's nothing like checking those little boxes, right? And it's done. Got to work on this shed, got to fin finish the shed, got to clean the shed. And then once you get it, it's like there's rest. Why is there rest? Be because you worked hard, yes. But there's rest of mind because it is finished. When God finished with creation, he wasn't tired. He rested, the Bible says, because he was finished. When Jesus died on the cross, you know what he said? It is finished. The work of your life, your soul, it's done. So what do we do? We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we're not working for rest. We're working from rest. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. What, what God has wrought in Christ Jesus has given us rest. So whatever comes our way, there's peace in our heart. There's peace in our mind. Why? Because he's already resolved it in Jesus Christ. He died for you past, present, and future. So when we worry, we're trying to control and be sovereign over our life. We can't do that. Yes, we can sow. Yes, we can water. Paul said, I sow to Paulus water, but God gives the increase. God creates the outcomes. I cannot create the outcomes. You cannot create the outcomes. So what do we do? We stay low. We go slow. We humble our lives. We draw close to God. We keep asking for that peace because he said, in this life you will have trouble, but my peace I give to you. So when we have a storm, we don't get freaked out and worried. We we say, this is normal. This is life. This is how I learn. God teaches us, teaches his disciples through situations. Every situation is a school. Everything we go through is a lesson. And we don't get strength just for the situation. We get strength from the situation. You don't get strength for lifting weights. You get strength from lifting weights. Not that I would know, but <clears throat> I've heard people say that before, all right? The resistance, the pressure is what makes you strong.
You're going through something. Every one of us do. You're either in a struggle, in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to go through one. And we're so focused as believers so many times. We're just, we're in boat number one. We're in storm number one. Wake up, Jesus. Fix my problem. Fix my problem. You know what's so interesting to me? They get to the other side. Same spirit. Fix my problem. Jesus heals a man who's been, had 10,000 devils cast him out. The people have for months, maybe years, have been trying to bind this man. This man with many demons. He's been cutting himself, living in the, in, the, in the caves. Jesus comes and the man's delivered. He's in his right mind. He's clothed. And the people come and Jesus casts the spirits, the evil spirits, into the swine, into the pigs. Those pigs go and they kill themselves in the sea. That's what was in the man. Torment. Not peace. Torment. The people are like, get out of here, Jesus. Wait, wait, we got a man who's in his right mind. Yeah, but you killed our pigs. And this is their mentality. Solve my problems but save my pigs. And there's people who just want to wake Jesus up to fix the problem. Can you fix the storm? Can you fix the storm? And the, 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 the height of their relationship with God is when I need you, I'll wake you up. When I need you, I'll call upon you. Just sleep, get your pillow. You, you do your thing, we'll do our thing. But when we need you, we'll wake you up. That's not what God wants. He's trying to awaken something in us, a question, right? The question gives root to the answer. We, we don't have the question asked in the situation, what manner of man is this? We never get the right answer. I want to show you um, a little chart here. I think it's kind of important. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, this was made in 1840, so it's kind of old and antiquated. It's definitely not updated with uh, all the cool trimmings, but you can see it. Just kidding. It wasn't made in 1840, okay? But it's kind of older. It looks a little 1990-ish, but um, this is Jesus' ministry. A lot of people don't realize that the first 12 months of Jesus' ministry is mostly not even recorded. We have very little in the book of John. Uh, we don't know a lot of what took place. Disciples are ordained here almost at uh, month 18. There's a, there's a lot that took place in Jesus' ministry and things that accelerated. So from month 18 to uh, the rise of his popularity, um, we we find this little little saga here. We, have, we, we find their story about right here. And what this is, if you could see if we had high def, which we don't, it says Matthew chapter 15, the chapter right after um, this story. This story, the second storm, actually becomes a, a shift maker where something shifts in Jesus. Something shifts in the disciples. Something that they experience, something that they see, something in this, uh, this revelation that comes in their situation opens the door for them to step into a new season. Now, it's opposition, and it seems bad, but something powerful happens in Jesus, he starts to set his eyes to the cross. He starts talking about things like, hey, here's the church. It's about to come, and I need you to lead it. Something shifts in Jesus' um, tone and, and, and even the fragrance of his ministry shifts after this. There's an explosion of great ministry and miracles that take place, especially after the miracle when they come back the second time after that second boat ride. But in that, opposition comes. There's a, there's a shift Light and darkness, the kingdom, that ambivalence. And it all took place. It all happened at this pivotal point of this second storm. It's so important to know this. Uh, scholars always say that there's something about this second storm 
that shifted the mindset of the disciples and the ministry of Jesus. I need you to know that because the question and the answer are paramount for us seeing a shift in our own lives. In fact, just two chapters later, Jesus is going to ask the question, one of the most, if not the most important question of all time, who do men say that I am? Well, John the Baptist is one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? That's more important. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, now we can go somewhere. Let me talk to you about the keys. Let me talk to you about the kingdom. Let me talk to you about what's about to happen. Let me talk to you about the cross. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to unpack kingdom principles and says, it's not just a church, it's the kingdom of the church. It's the church inside of a kingdom, and there's a king, and there's power, and there's dominion, and I need to impart this to you. And it all started to shift at this story in Matthew chapter 14. Now, here's what's interesting to me. is You have two, two boats, two storms, and you have <clears throat> essentially fishermen in a boat who are out at sea in a storm. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think at the end of the day, like, these guys are fishermen. They'd be like, we're cool. Like, if, you know, the storm comes, they're like, hey, man, we've been doing this our whole life. Like, I grew up in that little town over there. Uh, my first girlfriend was over there, from over there, and, um, you know, our business was located right over there, and we're good. I've been on these seas my entire life. When you have fishermen who are afraid for their life, something's going on. Is it a coincidence that they have one storm and then another storm just like it. What are the odds of that? And for Jesus to put them into that storm, to say, hey, we're going to the other side. Jesus knows the storm's coming. Jesus understands what's about to take place. Because what Jesus is about is not just getting us out of our storm, but it's about what are we going to get out of our storm. What are, the, what, are the, what are the truths? What are we going to see? What are we going to experience that changes us? Whenever God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, here's what's going to happen. In the future, 400 years, your children will be in Egypt. But here was the promise that God said. He said, but when I bring them out, they're coming out with great spoil with great possessions. They're going to be ready to become a nation. They're going to be ready to build me a house, a tabernacle in a wilderness, a temple in a nation. They're going to be able to build me something great because they're not just going through a storm. They're coming out with great possession. And here's the question you got to ask. When you go through the storm, what are you coming out with? Did you get out of it what God intended for you to get out of it, or were you just focused on getting out of it? Wake up, Jesus, get me out of this. Wake up, Jesus, get me out of this. Or was there something I was supposed to see was there something that my eyes were supposed to behold? If we could start seeing that our struggle is a school, our storm is the teacher, that what we go through is positioning us for great faith. Overwhelming circumstances create overcoming revelation and overcoming faith. And you can't get it any other way than going through a storm. I want to show you a scripture that I love. I've actually been thinking about this, kind of ruminating on it all, all week long. First Peter chapter 5 and 8 says this. 1 Peter chapter 5 and 8, be alert and be sober mind. I need you to be aware. I need you to see what you're supposed to see. Don't be intoxicated on the world or, or any other thing. Just have your mind ready. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour him. R resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Can I just tell you, like, there's a real enemy out there. And God doesn't cause storms and, 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 and create these things. But he does allow us to go through them. Jesus didn't make the storm, but what he did was he, he, he's like, all right, guys, see you on the other side. You need to go through this because you're going to get something out of it. My wife um, had me plant some plants in the front yard. What, what are they called, babe? Hydrangeas. And, you know, all of our neighbors, and we go on walks in the neighborhood, and she's like, I love those hydrangeas. I love those. I was like, I can do that. 
let me plant those for you. And so she gets some from, I think, Costco and some like, all right, where do you want these? She's like, I want them right here. It's like, so I plant them and, you know, get the, the roots a little loose, let them grow strong and spread them the right way. Looking up on YouTube, looking up online. I'm like, okay, here it is. And our hydrangeas look like death warmed over. It looks like the enemy has fought against us. And every time I saw them, there was so much shame in my life. Like we'd be walking in the front door, they're on the left. I'd be like, hey, babe, what's that over there? There's a bird. She's like, what? I don't see a bird. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. I just want to ignore the hydrangeas, right? And so finally, like our neighbor, we're in the front just kind of looking at him. And I'm just feeling so much guilt. I'm like, maybe I did something wrong. And the neighbor's like, hey, man, uh, you've got deer eating your hydrangeas. He's like, look at the deer poop right there. I was like, yes, deer poop. It's the deer. It's not me, deer. The devil has gotten in the deers and fought against us. I felt so good about myself. I was like, it ain't me. It ain't me. But there are things that you go through that are self-inflicting, but there are things that come against you in the night that you don't see, things that you don't realize, pressures. And I'm going to just tell you, like, you've been called to make it through. But more than just make it through, what are you going to get out of it? We don't just go through it. we got to grow through it. And in our spiritual formation, the Bible says this in Thessalonians, and it's kind, of, it's kind of funny. The Bible says, in all things give thanks. You know what it doesn't say? For all things give thanks. I don't have to be like, I'm thankful for that mean person that just cut me off. But I can be like, I'm thankful for this situation because it's teaching me patience. In all things give thanks. I'm not thankful for everything. Some things hurt. Some things are not right. Some things are done wrong. Some, some things are the devil. Some things aren't the devil. You know, there's people who are all devil. Some people who are, are no devil at all. Like, like everything's the devil. Someone took my parking spot. The devil's against me. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a little more sensical element to it. But there are forces of darkness that come against us. But there's something in the storm, something that you're either going to go through have gone through or in the middle of right now that God said, I want your eyes to be open. And here's what's bizarre to me. The place, the latitude and longitude in the very middle of the sea, in the very middle, a question's asked. What manner of man is this? In a storm, in the middle of the sea, the fishermen, tax collectors in the sea, what manner of man is this? See, a question's important. Clay Christensen says this. I love this quote. Questions are places in your mind where answers fit. If you haven't asked the question, the answer has nowhere to go. See, there are situations that will cause you to ask questions that will prepare you for the future answer that God's going to show you. See, one thing I'm afraid of is many times with, with church, like we're answering questions that people aren't asking. Like we need to be answering the questions people are coming. People are coming in far from God, and they're not asking about how, how do denominations work. They're asking, can God really love me? I feel broken. I, I have no peace in my life. My marriage is a wreck. See, Acts 2 was the result of two questions. People are speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost and all this mayhem. They're like, What's, what does this mean? And Peter's like, thought you never ask. You've just made room for the answer. Let me tell you what this is. These men are not drunk as you suppose, all right? But these men are full of the Spirit, full of the power of God. Cool. Well, what do we need to do? You, know, you, need, you need to repent. Second question, you need to repent. 
You need to get baptized. You need, you need to let your life be filled with the Holy Spirit. Questions lead to answers. If there's no question, there's no room for the answer. So we have to listen to the question. I teach this to our teachers in our church. Listen to the question because that says there's a cup ready to be filled. The question is the cup. And so God puts them right in the middle of the storm, and they ask the question, finally, what manner of man is this? Finally. And so just a few weeks later, Jesus allows them to go back into the same situation, and now the result at the same place, in the same sea, in the, maybe the same boat, same situation, right in the middle, stuck. Anybody ever been stuck before? Oh, man. I was stuck yesterday. My wife tricked me into going to TJ Maxx. Has this ever happened to anybody? She wanted to get candles for people who helped with pursuit. Have you ever had to sniff 35 candles? <laughs> Everything smells like pumpkin spice after candle number 20. Everything. Pumpkin spice is great. This is vanilla, honey. No, it's pumpkin spice. That's all I can smell right now. So she tricked me into this situation, but I learned. God has a way of teaching me. Babe, thank you. But she's like, hey, we're going to need to get these candles. I need to get one of these carts. So we're about to walk into TG Maxx. She's like, get a cart. I was like, okay, I'll do that. I'll be the cart guy. That's what you need me to be. I'm whatever you need me to be. So I get the cart, and I'm like, it ain't moving. <clears throat> of course, there's no other carts, and there's some carts way down there. I'm not going to walk way down there. I'm just going to work on this cart. Cast the devil out of the cart, whatever it is. They're in the deer. They're in the carts. It's not moving. So finally I discover there's one wheel that moves. So I pick it into a corner and walk it, sliding it into TJ Maxx. And all the workers and my wife and all the, the ladies shopping, they're like, I bet he wears elephants on his shirt. You know what I mean? Like he's one of those guys. As soon as I cross the threshold, it starts to work because the sensor, the wheels lock when you're outside. I didn't get that privy information before she requested me to grab the cart, all right? But I was stuck. I didn't know why I was stuck. And there's people who don't know why they're stuck. And I want to tell you today, the wheels lock up when you're in the wrong proximity. And I want to tell you that until you get this, you will have reoccurring storms that look the same over and over and your stuckness will turn into cycles and you can't break. And you go, it's just a season. It's just my life. This is just the way life is. You're stuck in a cycle that's a storm. And it looks the same. You're like, how many storms do you got to go through before you get it? Before you ask the right question and find the right answer. And they finally got the right answer. Something dawned on them. Their eyes were open. They go, surely this is the Son of God. And everything changed. Never had a storm again. We got... Two more incidences where we see them taking the boat. No more storms. There, probably more than that. Not, it's not recorded, but two more. No storms. Storms stopped because they got it. When you get the lesson, when you pass the test, a lot of people don't like taking tests. The truth is, is that the test is like, what I want to I pull out what you've learned. I want to know what you got. And you know what happens, why we're frustrated so many times during these testing moments? When the test is being given, what, what does the teacher do? The teacher is usually silent. We're like, God, why are you silent? Because I want to see what's inside of you. I want to see the questions that you're asking. I want to hear the answers that you're giving. 
Because if you get the right answer, if you, if you realize I am the Lord of the storm, high and lifted up. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus walked on the water. It says he walked on the sea. He had dominion over. He wasn't just walking on water. Give me a cup of water. I'll step on it. He had dominion over the entire sea. As he's walking, the fish are like, General, what do we do? Just keep doing what you're doing. The lightning and the thunder is like, what do we do? He's like, just keep doing what you're doing. The, wi- the wind obeys him because he's the Lord of all. And once they saw that, they go, now I can have peace. If I know that he's in the storm with me, why would I be afraid? If I know that in the midst of the tempest and the pain, he's with me. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world and my peace I give to you. I'm not here to make you avoid every storm, but I am making you storm proof. So your peace of heart never leaves and you can say, it's just a storm. It's just a storm. How many has been through a storm lately? Can I just tell you, in, in, in any storm that you're in, Jesus is in the storm. How many, how many like to read? Any readers like? I'll tell you what I grew up on. This is a confession. My, my parents were, you know, they, they were, they were they're great people. Um, but whenever they disciplined me, I don't know why. I don't know if they thought I couldn't read or something. Like, go read. It's like, so now I still, like, feel like I'm, hey, read this, honey. And I'm like, what did I do? No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. <laughs> someone the other day, someone the other day asked her, like, did your parents, did they, did they spank or did they time out or did they take the stuff you wanted to do or did they, they give you a lecture? I was like, pretty much all those in that order. I don't know. <laughs> it was like all of that. And then it was like, now you're going to your room and you're going to read. And so I would gr- grab my favorite book. You know what my favorite book was? Where's Waldo? <laughs> it's the best book in the entire house. <laughs> Are you reading? Yes, I am. I'm <laughs> And so we got a little picture here. Let's throw it up. <laughs> this is this is Waldo. So essentially, this is what Waldo looks like. Well, this is this is what the book Waldo. Every page is a cacophony, a noise of pictures, and on every page, Waldo's in there, and you can't turn the page unless you find Waldo. When you find Waldo, guess what? You get to turn the page. Where's Waldo? Anybody see him? There he is. There he is. He's right above the guy with the horns. Very appropriate. All right. Where's Waldo? When you find him on the page, you get to turn the page. Can I just tell you, life doesn't move forward until you find Jesus on the page. That's it. Find when 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 Paul found when when Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Paul saw Jesus everywhere. He started going through the Torah, Old Testament. He's like, wait, the priesthood, that's Jesus. The brazen altar, that's Jesus. The labor, that's Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, that's Jesus. The whole, the whole tabernacle, it's the cross, it's Jesus. The rock that fo- followed them in the wilderness, that's Jesus. The brazen serpent in the wilderness, that's Jesus. I just, I see Jesus everywhere. And once you see him, you start seeing him everywhere. He's with you. He's for you, and he's in every page of your life. He's in every moment. 
And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if he's with me. I don't know if he knows what I'm going through. I want to just tell you, Jesus is in your storm. And the way to turn the page is to find him and call out to him and get him in your boat. Not just, not just wake him up. Can you, do a little, can you do a little Jesus for us? No one can outdo, no one can out Jesus Jesus. He's good at that. He's good at being kind. He, but you're going to have a storm again. But when he becomes Lord, when you declare who he is, when you worship and say, you know what? You're good. Even in the storm, you're good. I know who you are. I know who in whom I have believed in and persuaded him. That he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. When you have that in your heart, peace comes. And when you have peace inside, peace comes on the outside. When you have peace in the boat, there's peace on the outside of the boat. Can I get an amen? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for those who are going through a storm right now. If you, if you will, close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Life has many struggles, many storms, many things we're going through. And the question at the end of the day is, what will you get out of it? Are you so, so focused on getting out of your storm that you're getting nothing out of your storm? I want to pray that God would illuminate, bring life and light to highlight revelation. Overcoming circumstances that bring overcoming faith. Overwhelming circumstances that produce overcoming revelation Jesus you are good God is good scheming to bless us can I tell you this you will make it to the other side you're destined to make it to the other side Heavenly Father for all those that are in this room right now who don't understand the care and the measure by which our spiritual development and growth is taking place. I can't control outcomes, but I can, tr can control attitude. I can put this back in your hands and say, Lord, you're good and you're faithful. Lord, we persevere and we reach for you. You are not far from any one of us if we will just call out to you. People that came into this house heavy laden with burdens. Those who came into this house not knowing what the outcome would be when they opened their heart again to you, Jesus. Hurt by religion, hurt by church, hurt by Christians, hurt. But Lord, there is a grace in this place and there is a strength that's going to come. And the whole body of Christ all around the world, First Peter, he said there's a suffering. We all go through it, but when we come out of it, we come out of it, there's strength. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the whole world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you give us grace to see in the middle of the sea. In Jesus' name. 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to read verses 8 through 11. Again, be alert, be sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the whole world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to this, his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever say that with me forever and ever 
Amen. You're going to make it through it. I want to I pray for those who want to begin their journey with Jesus. Your journey be, begins with Jesus when you call upon his name and you repent of your sins. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I feel far from God. I feel yucky. I feel like, I want to tell you, like, the Holy Spirit has a way of convicting us without condemning us. He wants to raise us up. He wants to call us higher. We've been living with a high calling and a low altitude. It's time to come up and it's time to come home. If you're here today and you want to say yes to following Jesus, he's here in this house today. He's been knocking at the door of your heart and he just wants you to open up. If that's you and you just want to wave your hand really quickly so I can see who I'm praying for, I want to pray with those who came into this house. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Come on, let's clap our hands. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, can we pray together, church? Heavenly Father, we honor you. We thank you for your goodness. Lord Jesus, we pray right now. We receive your forgiveness of sins. This is not achieved, but this is believed. We believe and trust in the finished work of Calvary. It's not what we've done, but it's what you have done. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins, to wash away my sins, to make me whole, to make me look like you, to restore my life to peace and order, to bring your glory back into my life for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So I open my heart, my heart wide to you, Lord. And I say, Lord, I give you permission not just to live inside of me, but to do a remodel in my heart. I'm going to reorient my life to follow you, to be a follower of Jesus. And I say yes today to your eternal mercy and your grace in Jesus' name. And the church say amen.